Before we get started, Brother David, you want to introduce your wife to us? This, there, <laughs> this is my Amen. <laughs> Amen. And and this is the miracle we've been praying because they've had a hard time getting her over here. And so we've been praying for that for a long time, and this is the answer to that prayer. And so praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And good to see Miss Carol here today. Certainly enjoy to have you. And uh, we got Tyler and Ashley, is that right? Uh, visiting with us. These are friends of Brother Keith's. And uh, certainly enjoy to have you in the services today. And uh, anyway, we're thankful for what God's doing. Well, let's take our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And. Uh, I've only got 23 points this afternoon, so uh, we'll be, <laughs> it's not, not quite that many, not quite that many, but there are more than three, and uh, so we'll see if we get there. We're going to deal with the topic of prayer today, and uh, we may make this a two or three week uh, study on the issue of prayer. Um, probably one of the uh, most neglected in light of the the effectiveness of prayer of all the Christian graces, probably one of the things that is most effective in accomplishing God's work and allowing the uh, power of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, and yet uh, many times in our Christian lives, uh, and I don't want to say that the opportunity of prayer is neglected as much as perhaps the, the process of praying, what we do when we pray, uh, to many times I think, uh, is neglected. I want to look at some of that uh, today. As we get to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, we were here last week as we dealt with not quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit and things that uh, we believe that means that Paul was giving to us about not quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit. But in verse number 24, <clears throat> he says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Father, we pray that you'll bless the service and the the time spent together around your word this afternoon that you would guide and instruct us and lord the truth of the matter is today we are a very helpless and needful people and so i pray that you would allow your holy spirit to do his work in the preaching and the teaching of your word that it will stir our hearts and draw us closer to you help us to become more of what we ought to be for you in jesus name we pray amen I was talking with uh, the Clarks. I went up to visit them yesterday up down in Piedmont and uh, was talking with them about some things regarding um, what we've been studying on Wednesday nights in leading um, Mormons to the Lord and how you approach them. And uh, we got to talking about things of doctrine. And the idea being that uh, one of the primary things of the church is that we teach and we preach doctrine. 
It's one of the things that gets neglected a lot because it's not the exciting part of the church. It's not the thing that everybody looks at. Now, some people like it and think, well, it's great, but it's not that fireball, you know, uh, excitement of the church and, you know, you're learning precepts and, and principles and doctrines of God. <clears throat> and so in many times, a lot of churches in the day we live, uh, because it's not what we would consider to be the fun part of church, neglect it. They don't teach their people. Uh, one of the things that I pointed out to uh, the Clarks yesterday in talking with them is that the, out of all the religions of the world, the one that is most often converted to the Mormon faith are, is the Baptist group. Uh, and and by, by a vast margin, in fact, there's not even a close second, 22% of people that convert to Mormonism from another religion are Baptist. And we got to talking about that. Why is that? Why does it seem like so many of them uh, go into the Mormon faith or perhaps some other faiths and are so quickly and easily drawn away? And I believe a large part of that is because we fail to teach doctrine. We don't ground people. If you will, hold your place here. We're going to come right back to 1 Thessalonians 5. But turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And I want us to look at a parallel passage that Paul speaks of here regarding praying. And he says in verse number 1 of chapter 3, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. And he expounds it a little bit more now in this particular uh, epistle to the church at Thessalonica. He says, Brethren, pray for us. And then here's what he asks them to pray about. He says that the word of the Lord may have free course. Oftentimes you'll hear us pray in our church, Lord, may you have free course. May your Holy Spirit be free to do the work in our hearts that He desires to do. That there not be a hindrance in this place. I, I know that there are times that we come to, to preach, and uh, I, I, there are times I sense even in preaching, and uh, the opportunity I have to get up here, there's times that either I feel like I'm, I'm exhausted uh, physically or spiritually or emotionally, and I feel like there was just a, a, a hindrance in the preaching. Other times I feel great liberty to preach. I think there are times we come together and uh, certain things will happen and distractions will take place in a church service. And what Paul is dealing with here is he's saying, I want you to pray that there not be anything that would weight down or hinder the Lord Jesus Christ from doing his purpose in, in your lives and in that church. I think it ought to be the prayer of many of us that we pray that the Holy Spirit and that God will have free reign or what the Bible refers to here as free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now he notice in verse number 2. He says, in that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Uh, would you agree with me today that we live in a time where there are certainly a lot of unreasonable and wicked men. And we need to be delivered from those things. And then he says in verse number 3, and I want you to see this. But the Lord is faithful. Now if we take what we find here in verses 1 and 2... The inference that, that Paul makes, or the implication that Paul makes here, is that there are times that things can happen to hinder God working. There are certainly unreasonable and wicked men that would hinder the progress or the work of the Lord. But lest we become discouraged in that, he goes on to explain to us in verse 3 that regardless of what circumstances happen in this life, the Lord is faithful. 
He's able to continue to do his work. Do you realize this today? That no matter how wicked and how ungodly and how evil this world gets, God is not limited by that. Amen? Aren't we glad of that? That we serve a God that no matter how much opposition and and persecution, Miss Donna, that you talked about a moment ago, and things that come into our lives, there's no doubt that God is not limited by those things. I've heard preachers get up and say, we can't have revival anymore because of how bad our, our society is. I'll tell you this, my God is not limited. When He chooses to send revival, He can send revival, and I don't care how bad this world is or how, how far away from God our hearts have strayed. When God chooses to send revival, He is able. And so He tells them in verse 3 that God is faithful, but notice this. He says, who shall... And he uses a word here, they say unique words, establish you and keep you from evil. It's not just the idea or the concept. When we say establish something, we're talking about unmovable and, and you know being set. But the word establish goes a little bit further in this, in that not only are we set, but we are to deepen our roots and our anchors into it so that we are not displaced by the trials and troubles that come our way. Now, how can we do this? We can only do this as we ground ourselves in the faithfulness of God. Because the truth is, the world is corrupt, the world is moving, and if we're not careful, we will become disillusioned. We'll look at some things, and we'll say, Boy, I'll tell you, I I just don't know how Christians can even live in this world that we live in today. I don't know how we can still take a stand for God in the world that we live today. But Paul encourages them in this and says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. I think this is a critical part of the Christian life, that we are established in the doctrines of God's Word, that we deepen these roots in such a way that we are not moved when the trials come, that there be a deepening of our faith. And then he says this in verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord, uh, touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you, and the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. This is what Paul said he wanted the church at Thessalonica to be praying for. I said all that to do this, and now if you will, go back with me to First Thessalonians in chapter number 5. I said all that to say this, that so often in our prayer lives... We know that there's the principle of praying. We understand from Scripture that we are to pray without ceasing. We understand the concept of prayer. And yet we neglect it, not so much in in the number of times throughout the day that we approach God in prayer, but many times in how we pray and what we pray for. Our prayer lives become very weak and very watered down. I went to a breakfast Saturday, and my kids and I, we've for a couple of years now, we go to a Steak and Shake a lot for breakfast because it's cheap. And that's what I like. It's cheap. Doesn't care how, I don't care what it tastes like. As long as it's cheap, we eat there. Max saw Miss Carol there the other day. And we eat there most every morning sometimes. We found a new place that we like, a little cafe. And we've gone there two or three times. The only complaint I have is I like coffee. Are you? How many of you are coffee drinkers? Anybody coffee? You ever had coffee, and when you go to take a drink of it, there's no coffee flavor. It's just brown water. Any of you done that? That's, what, that's the only complaint I have about the place. I'm not going to tell you where it's at because I don't want to give them a bad name. 
but it's weak. And, and can I say this? It's watered down. My daughter, I took her there yesterday for the first time. Uh, Reagan, I think it was her first time there getting coffee. She's been there before but never gotten coffee. And so yesterday morning she offered, she, go, she bought coffee. And, and she went to take a drink of it. And she <laughs> spit it out and set it down. I said, Dad, that's not even coffee. I said, yeah, I know. It's kind of weak. And yet many times we go through the process of praying and the substance is just not there. Uh, a number of years ago, I preached a series on prayer. And in the middle of preaching, God broke my heart about my prayer life. I mean, I'm up there trying to get through my points, and my, my eyes are tearing over, my notes are blurring. And I mean, I'm, I, I didn't even think I was going to make it through the message. Because just before that message, we had gone to the Lord in prayer. We had a friend of ours in our church that was suffering from cancer. And when we prayed, I said, Lord, bless brother so-and-so. And went right on with my praying. Now, was it wrong for me to ask for God to bless brother so-and-so? No. But where was the fervency in praying for him? I'm going to tell you right now, if I had cancer, I would want somebody that could get a hold of the throne of God and could beseech God on my behalf for my healing. I don't want somebody to just say, bless Brother Greg. I want somebody that knows how to pray. The Bible calls it effectual, fervent praying i often wonder in our christian lives and, and uh, you know I'm, I'm we're preaching to the choir here today so to speak in that this is the sunday afternoon crowd i, I don't doubt that our people pray I, I i certainly had been to the lord in prayer many many times in my life i did not feel like i neglected the action or the the purpose of praying but what struck me and what smote my heart was there was no fervency or effectiveness in my praying. There was no faithfulness in the prayer that I was praying, believing that God was going to do these things. Any of you ever pray for something and when it happens you're surprised by it? You ever, you ever been that way? I, I've been there. In fact, the most of the time, and I, and I hate to say this because even though we know this, most of the time, and I'm not saying it ought not amaze us that God answers our prayers in the sense that we certainly don't deserve it. But why does it surprise us when He answers our prayers? Isn't there supposed to be faith in our praying? The prayer of faith, the Bible says, will save the sick. The idea that there be something in the praying that causes God to be moved by our prayers. We certainly have example of it in Scripture, don't we? Times where God has purposed in his heart something and a man or a woman would go to him in prayer and he would change what he would do simply because someone prayed. A.J. Gordon made this statement years ago. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you pray. I, I'm guilty of this, and I, I think if we're not careful, many times we say this. 
And I don't think we mean what we say. But I've had opportunities where people have come to me and said, I shared a burden on their heart, something that was heavy, something that I really, I didn't know what I could do to help them with the situation. And so I would say something like this, I'll be praying for you. Nothing wrong with that statement. But I would add this, and this is where I would say I was wrong. I wish I could do more. Can I tell you the greatest thing we can do is pray. I'm not saying we neglect the physical ministration of people who have a need and and try to be a help to them. But can I tell you this? We can do more than pray after we have prayed. But we can never do more than pray until we've prayed. There, there needs to be effectual fervency in this. That, that, that Paul, two different times to this church, his final thoughts, his final request, as he brings his letter to a close, the thing he wants them to remember is, brethren, pray for us. He didn't say, I need you to send me money. He didn't say, I need these, 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 and these things to happen. He said, pray for us. Paul understood Paul understood that the greatest thing this church could do for him and for the ministry he was involved in was for them to pray. John Wesley said this. He said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Another fellow said it this way. One should never initiate anything that he cannot saturate with prayer. We should never even start it. We should never attempt to engage in it until it has been saturated in prayer. Ian Bounds said this, The little estimate we put on prayer is evident from the little time we give it. The Bible teaches us that we are to pray without ceasing. I remember reading a story of Charles Spurgeon, who's known as the Prince of Preachers, one of the great preachers of years ago and brought great revival on two different continents. And it was said of him one day as he took one of the rare days of leisure with his friends at a park. They wrote of the story and of the occasion. They said, we never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. Wouldn't it be amazing if our relationship to God was such that He was our very best friend, that I could talk to Him as easily as I could talk to any one of you. Oh, what an amazing relationship that would be. To, to, to share. You ever gone to a friend when you've had need and said, Bro, man, i got this. I got this problem. I don't know if you can help me with it or not. But boy, I, And you share that with people you care about, don't you? And yet so often we have problems and things in our lives. And the thing we wait till the very last resort usually is our praying. We try everything except prayer. I wonder if it could be said of us that we walked with God in such a way that we could enter into prayer with Him. And people wouldn't know when we were talking with Him and when we were talking with them. I want to give you several things about prayer. And certainly, again, I wish this book is inexhaustible. And anytime we give lists of things, understand that, that we will be lacking and that we have not fully given everything that Scripture deals with on the topic. But I want to give you some things, hopefully, this afternoon 
that will be a help to us. Hold your places in here. We're going to come back and refer to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Look with me in Romans 12, if you will. Romans chapter number 12. Very familiar chapter. We're going to look down in verse number 12. Paul writes, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Continuing instant in prayer. And I just simply wrote in my Bible, Romans 12, 12, I need to be instant in prayer. And what do we mean by instant in prayer? I believe that the the, the grace of praying in our lives needs to become so much of a habit that the very first thing that we do in any situation is go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Yesterday, I came home uh, from uh, Piedmont and went over to a friend's house to help him uh, stain his front porch, uh, putting some weather seal on the front porch. And just before we got to the the place, uh, Jonathan was in the truck and he said, Boy, I smell something burning, Dad. And the front wheel bearing on the truck had gone out. And I'm sitting here and I'm frustrated. I'm like, oh, now we got to wait for it to cool down. Then we're going to have to go drive and try to find a part. And, we're gonna... and I'm thinking all this stuff. And I'm doing all this stuff. I got home last night after all of that. You know, not one time had I prayed and asked God about it. I say that to my shame. You say, Brother Greg, that's a simple thing. That's, a, that's just something that's a circumstance. But, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get to the place where our first thought in every instance of that well, let me spend some time praying. Uh, let, let me see what God has in this situation. You say, Brother Greg, that's a wheel bearing. You don't think God's worried about my life? You don't think God's worried about your life? You don't think that God is intimately concerned with what happens in your life day to day? Oh, you better believe it. My Bible says that He knows how many hairs are on my head, and that's a job and a half for me. And sometimes Brother David. Sure, he's interested. And we need to foster this idea that the first thing we do. Somebody said it this way. Prayer ought to be the steering tires, not the spare tire. Prayer ought to be the very front thing. That ought to be the thing that directs our lives. Not the thing we rely on when we have a problem. And so often we make prayer the last thing we do. Or the second or third thing that we do. And how we need to foster this thing of being instant in prayer. Secondly, I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. If you'll turn over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Verse number 11. Paul says, Ye also helping together. What are the next two words? By prayer for us. Helping together by prayer for us. Paul, at this point, is on a missionary journey. He has suffered some trials along the way. And he writes to the church and he tells them, he says, here's how you can be a help to us. You can help partner with us in the work and in the, in the, uh, the job that God has given us to do. Here's how you can help if you will pray for us. There are times that missionaries come to this church and, and they'll put uh, prayer cards in the back. And I understand there probably are some missionaries who think, boy, the prayer cards are there. Most people are going to take them, go home, put them in their Bible, forget about it. 
And uh, when you hear a missionary say, you know, more than your support financially, we want your prayer support. And some of us in our minds, we think, yeah, but really he wants our, our material support. Can I tell you the greatest thing that we can do for our missionaries is pray. Why? Because we get to help them in the ministry they're doing for God. I can't go to Brazil, Brother Douglas. Not today, anyway. <laughs> Maybe one day. But I can sure pray for them. I can't go to Philippines, Brother David. But I can sure pray for them. And I can help them together in that. Do they need our financial support? Absolutely. But the greatest thing we can do for them is pray. Why is it that we feel like prayer is a small thing? Why is it that it's our tendency that we can do all of these other things, but when we pray, we feel like we've not done enough? Well, prayer ought to be the great thing of our life. It ought to be the directing thing of our life, that we can help in the service of God's work through prayer. I hope people pray for me as the pastor. I hope people pray for each other in this church as we serve God because it helps us take part in their service. I want you to notice also <clears throat> Acts chapter number 6, if you will. Acts chapter number 6. Let's start in verse number 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. When the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto the, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. And to the ministry of the Word. Can I tell you this? Not only do we need to be instant in prayer, but we need to be continually in prayer. We need to be continually in prayer. Only as we begin to see how much prayer affects the events of man's life, only as we see the effects that prayer has in the spiritual warfare that goes on day by day in our lives, will we understand the urgency that we continue in prayer. That there be a constancy in prayer. That is something that we never leave off doing. I, I so often feel like we have moments of prayer and then we sign off with God and we don't think about it again until we have another moment of prayer. But all that we would get in a place where our hearts are continually thinking in terms of praying to God. That there be a continuation, not just of my prayer time that I spent this morning or yesterday morning or the day before in the morning time in my devotion time, but that throughout that day, my heart would be in tune with what I have prayed to God about. That in a moment's notice, I could pray. There are times that in the middle of doing something, God will stop me and it's time for me to spend some time praying with Him. You ever been there? Times where you're in the middle of maybe even serving Him. And you realize, boy, I better spend some time in prayer here. Let me just put the brakes on for a minute. And let me go to God in prayer. We need to be able to be continuing in prayer. 
James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Just a few pages over. James chapter 5. Verse number 15, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is the norm, accomplishes little. What does your Bible say? Availeth much. You know why we don't see a lot of answered prayer? Because we don't have a lot of effectual, fervent prayer. I say this so that we will evaluate as we go home this afternoon, Lord, how's my prayer life? When I spend time with you, is it effective praying? Am I really unzipping my heart and opening it up to you and pouring out my heart to you in prayer? Or, or am I just going through a motion of praying? Because as a Christian, I know I ought to pray. How so easily we make prayer like that watered-down coffee I had at the cafe the other day. That our praying starts to use common terms and words that we've heard others use in their praying. Bless is a great word that we use. Nothing wrong with praying for God to bless somebody, but we use it in a generic way with no fervency behind it. The phrase, be with. (laughs) Another one. Is it wrong for us to pray that God's presence be with someone? No. But when we use it generically and without any depth of meaning, go around and we pray for our prayer list. And we say, Lord, bless Miss Mary. Be with Brother Richard. If there's not a, a fervency in those statements... All that is is just watered-down breathing of, of words out to the Lord. I, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I think we can get that way in our prayer lives. That we might as well just sound a little bell for all the good that it will do. We've missed the fervency of it. We've missed the heart of it. There needs to be the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 8. Proverbs 15 and verse number 8. We'll go ahead and turn there and read. I'm trying to save some time here, but let's go ahead and read them. we only got 33 more of them to go. So y'all hang in there. I shouldn't say that from the pulpit. We, we do not have 33 of them to go. After all those meatballs and sandwiches we ate, half of y'all are tired and it's warm in here. Proverbs 15, verse number 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his what? Delight. Do you know that the prayer of an upright man delights the heart of God? He's overjoyed in it. Every once in a while, as a parent, my kids will do something that shocks me. It, it, 
they, they do something that I realize they have learned from me that I didn't think they had learned. <laughs> some, some issue of character, something that will happen. Uh, the other day, and I, and I don't want to embarrass I, one of my kids, I'll just leave it at that. One of my kids had spent some money on an object, and somebody was looking for an object like that, a, 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 a thing like that, but uh, for his for his son, his little his little boy, is a single parent, didn't have any money, and he said, "I'll I'll give you so much for it." What well, was less than what we had paid for it? And uh, I asked my my kid. I said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "We can." Keep it and wait for somebody to offer more for it. Or you can be a help to this guy and his son. They thought about it for just a short bit. Said, I'd like to help the guy out. Let me tell you something. My heart welled up inside of me because that wasn't me telling him he needed to do it. He just did it. Can I tell you that? Oh, well, maybe I have another son. <laughs> Okay, it was Jonathan. But can I tell you this? When we pray, that must be how God feels. He delights in us. There's my son. There's my child. And he's praying. And oh, this is an, this is an amazing thing. Angels, come look at this. He's praying for someone else. He's praying for the need. The fact that it delights God when we pray. And yet so often we neglect it. We neglect it. Or, or we just give it a token in passing. It's not special to us. It's not something that we look at and we say, boy, this is an amazing thing. I'll tell you one of the things that just amazes me about God is that He lets me come to Him and call Him my Father. You remember the story Jesus told of the man who had a neighbor that had a visitor come and he goes and he knocks on his friend's door needing a loaf of bread? He said, will he give him a serpent? Will he give him a stone? How much more shall our Heavenly Father give to those that have need of the Holy Spirit? The fact that He delights in us. That we would learn to have effective, fervent prayer. This thing of praying is amazing. That I can come to Him as my Father. Years ago, I had gone off to college. And I came back for a visit. That was the last point, by the way. I'll end with this. This is my first closing. We'll have three closings this afternoon. <laughs> I... Uh, Came back from college and uh, for Christmas break. I got done in college. We got done earlier than our, our Christian school did. I had always played sports in our Christian school growing up. And so every game I ever went to, I dressed in a uniform. I walked in the door. Never thought about paying the, the fee to enter and watch the game. They had a gate there at the door and they charged a dollar or two for people to come watch it. I came home from college, and I said, I'm going to go watch the ball game tonight. It never dawned on me that I was going to have to pay to get inside the door because I wasn't playing this time, but I was so in the habit of going to the gym, not worrying about it, I didn't have any money with me, none. 
it was a church that my dad had started back in 1966. He was pastoring the church, and, and, and the, the school was there and everything. And I remember walking up to the gate, and as I got, got up there, I see this line, and I'm thinking, I didn't bring any money. <laughs> any money. I, I don't know how I'm going to get in here. Only the ball players were allowed to get in without paying. And, and I got ready to turn around and walk away, and the person that was doing the gate saw me and said, you know, come on in, what are you doing? I said, I forgot my money, I'm going to have to go back home and get it. And you know what they said to me? They said, come on in, you're related. <laughs> I remember standing there that night, and man, that statement made such an impact on my life. Not because of a stupid ball game but because I get to walk anytime I want to into the throne room of God himself. And he just says, come on in. You're related. Don't have to pay a price. You don't have to go through a priest. Amen. I can come to God anytime I want to. And I don't mean to be irreverent because he is the God of all gods. And the king of all kings. But he allows me to call him my father. And he considers me his child. I can come to him in prayer. And expect him to do things. That I wouldn't expect other people to do. You know there were times I walked into my dad's office. Or his bedroom over the years. And I'd say hey dad can I borrow the keys to the car. Hey, Dad, can I, can I need ten bucks. I, I'm getting ready to go out with my friends. You got ten bucks? I could do that with him. But you know, there wasn't too many other people in the world that I'd ever walk up to and say, Hey, can I borrow your keys? I need to go out tonight. But I could do it with him because he was my father. Can I tell you this? When we become his child, when we get saved, the book of Hebrews says that we are to come boldly to the throne of grace that we can find help and mercy in time of need. Why is it that if prayer is such an amazing thing of our life that we give it so little attention? Why is it that we don't give it the fervency that it deserves? Is it perhaps that we really know that God answers prayer but we don't really believe it? To the point where when we pray and God answers prayer, it surprises us. What? I can't believe God did that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if instead of saying, next time God answers prayer, boy, I can't believe He did that. For us to rejoice in it and say, boy, I knew He would. I knew whatever the outcome, it was what He wanted. And to rejoice in that. Oh, that we can become people of prayer. The greatest thing that we can work on in our lives that will do more to effectively move God's hand in this world is prayer. How's our prayer life? Let's stand together if you're able with heads bowed and eyes closed. I believe we'll give just a, 